This episode of The Sleeper and the Bus is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 19, the best baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. It's officially licensed by MLB and the MLBPA, allowing you to take any team from any era, from any level, and run it the way you want with unprecedented depth, control, and authenticity. New features for this year include dramatic 3D ballpark and player improvements, an all-new tournament mode, allowing for infinite combinations, all new scouting systems, significant AI adjustments based on the latest trends, and so much more. Even better, if you order now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a special 10% discount off the retail price of $39.99 by going to OOTP Developments and clicking on the order banner. Just enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout. Once again, just go to OOTPDevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER19 at checkout for a special discount that helps support the Sleeper and the Bust. Thanks. Welcome to episode 599 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Thursday, September 13th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I'm flying solo right now. And I want to talk today about some rookie hitters and, and kind of uh, discuss maybe their their outlook for next year because we've got some really interesting players from this rookie class who are going to you know, get a lot of buzz in the off season about where they could be drafted. And, and some of them are going to get pushed up very high. I think a lot of them are going to be mid rounders though. It's, it's a pretty good rookie crop. Actually, you know what I want to do while I'm doing this? Let's see what, well, let me get a refresh on last year's rookies and how well they did. Who was drafted? Obviously judge was huge. We had Hoskins, uh, Cody Bellinger. Those three were, were drafted very highly. Uh, Matt Olson, Austin Barnes had some juice at the catcher position that totally flopped. Mitch Hanniger, Paul DeYoung, um, Ian Happ had some pretty good good juice. Uh, so did Raphael Devers, of course. Ozzy Albies, Andrew Benintendi was a monster. I'm um, just looking up and down the list here of of guys that were prominently drafted uh, last year. Nick Williams was kind of a late round pick that that folks liked. I don't think Brandon Nimmo really got a lot of run until he found some playing time this year and did well. Trey Mancini was somebody who had a really nice season and and I'm not, I'm not trying to use one example and be like, oh, this is why you be careful of rookies, but he looked like a pretty solid bet to be a good player. I mean, maybe not repeat his 293, 24, 78 with 65 runs that he had last year, but I think people were saying, you know, I'll get 270 and, and maybe 30 homers. He's got 21 homers, but just a 239 average and the 352 Babbitt come all the way down to 279 so he was probably on his high end last year and he's on his low end this year uh but you know things can fluctuate and we have that one year and it looks like a full season of of greatness and we're like okay well this is this is who he is you know we're set in stone and it's like well maybe not so i want to take a look at at this year's rookie crop and and give an assessment of, of kind of where i think they're gonna go uh round wise it's it's tough right because I haven't made a full list yet, and I'm sure some of these will change drastically just between now and um, the next couple of days, to be honest, because Justin's two early mocks are starting tomorrow, September 14th on Friday. So we're already going to be drafting next year uh, at that time, and so that's going to be really exciting. And then I'll have my NFBC draft in early November, 
which uh, I always share the, the results from that. It's always really interesting as an industry draft. Guys like James Anderson, Clay Link, Matt Modica, Doug Thorburn, Sammy Reed. I mean, it's a great group uh, that's out there, really difficult uh, group to, to draft against as well. And so we're going to have a lot of uh, interesting variation there as well. So let's just jump into it and, and talk about uh, some of these rookie hitters. I'm going to start at the top. I'm going by Woba for rookie hitters this year. And I'm going to start with Shohei Otani because he's obviously such an interesting case on his own, being that we don't really know what next year is going to hold, right? It's looking like he's going to have to get Tommy John at some point. And does he get Tommy John, you know, right when the season ends? That would put him pretty close to being available to hit right away, though. Like uh, the the hitter recovery from Tommy John is not so severe. Uh, how long did Miguel Sano? I don't remember. So I... I don't know if he'd be 100% ready for day one, but he might only miss, say, a month and then could hit the rest of the year for Otani. He's had an amazing season and and just well beyond the expectations that I had for him. I just wasn't sure. I also was thinking that he was going to be pitching all the time. too. I'm not trying to give myself an out. I, I, got, I got his hitting ability wrong. Um, but I was thinking, you know, he's going to be like a solid Jock Peterson type. That was the name I kept going back to. And like I said, having that out of a pitcher, out of your number two starter, possibly your ace, because I was really excited about his pitching ability, would be damn good. Even if you got last year's, uh, excuse me, last year's Peterson, which was definitely his lower end. I think he had like a 96 WRC plus. The year before that was 126, this year 121. So somewhere in that Peterson range. Well, I know I just cited WRC plus and now I'm going to go to Woba. Uh, 407 Woba in 304 plate appearances with 19 homers, 54 ribbies, 50 runs, nine steals too. We heard about Otani's speed coming over and it didn't really get to, I, I, we didn't really get a chance to see it. Cause I don't think he was running much when he was still pitching for obvious reasons. You don't want to take that extra risk, like a, a, a stolen base in the sixth inning of a game, even if it would get you in scoring position for a key run is not worth potentially jamming a finger uh, to a major degree and not being able to pitch. So I imagine they had a, a pretty strong red light on him, not just a yellow light. But he's been able to run a, a bunch more lately and, and showing off that speed. I mean, that's a that's basically a half season of, of plate appearances, 304, and he's at 19-9. and nine. I mean, whew, that's a 40-20 pace thereabouts. And that doesn't mean that's what he would do in a full season. I understand that, okay? I, I, I'm always clear. Just to kind of, it's just kind of a ballpark and say, like, okay, what if he was a star throughout an entire season? But you also look, and his July was pretty pretty bad, 203, 261, 422. His June, was, his June had 12 plate appearances, so I don't want to cite that. I mean, he has 697 OPS, but that's not. Basically, add his June and July together, and you're talking about a guy who had like a 690 OPS for a 82-plate uh, appearance run there. So that's about a month worth. But then 1065 in April, 829 in May, 1095 in August, and 1564 so far in September. I think he's very clearly a great hitter, uh, especially against right-handers. He does have work to do against lefties, though. And if you're talking about an everyday role, um, he'd have to get better against lefties for sure. 218, 307, 385 for Otani against lefties. I don't think he could go 40-20. So that's, that's just another reason not to get too hung up on that pace. But it is worth just saying... Look at how amazing he's been. And that's what a full season would do. So next year, I mean, whew, 
I think we talked about it a bit. I hope I hope I don't contradict myself too much because I don't remember exactly where I said he would go when Justin and I talked about it on the last episode. He went average of about 95th last year. He was just going inside the top 100. He'd spike up every once in a while. Actually, it's probably better to do the March because that's when things really – let's see here. Hang on. Give me 2018. Doing this on the fly. Apologies. Apologies. If you listen to a solo app, you know sometimes I got to be – punching the keys to get something pulled up, take a drink here and there. I think you guys are pretty chill with it, though. I don't usually get too much hate on that. Okay, I don't understand. This This went whack. Something happened with the ADP at, uh, at, 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 at the NFBC when he changed the date now. It's really wonky. It says the average draft position for the number one pick, Mike Trout, is 123.7. I don't know. So I'm just going to go with their rank on the sidebar there. And he was going just outside the top 100 in March at, at 101. And uh, I remember Dusty and I, my, my, my NFPC partner, we got him a 147. So he had dipped a bit. I think he'd come off a couple bad starts in spring training. And we said, you know what, let's take a shot. And I don't regret that shot, even though he was a pitcher only. Um, because he was so great. Uh, he had so much talent. And, and he was so great when he was pitching. Yeah, the injuries bit us, but... I, I, again, I really don't regret that pick. So I'm wondering where he goes as hitter only. If we kind of get the knowledge, and it's going to, it could vary so wildly from Justin's two early mocks just to my NFBC draft in November, let alone from these two draft, this draft period here in the fall, all the way until the uh, winter slash spring, because we're going to get more clarity on on exactly what he's going to be and, and what he can offer. So I understand that. This one is probably going to be as volatile as any because of the knowledge that we're going to get. There's not really anything outside of an injury that's going to change for any of the other guys that would really drastically change the draft slot. So for Otani, I'm thinking, I think I said somewhere in the top 150, so top 10 rounds for me. Uh, let me see where, where was David Peralta going? I think I might have comped him to that. But now... He's got, he's got more juice than David. David Peralta was like a two pick 265 kind of guy. Somebody who dominates against righties, has his struggles against lefties. I don't think he go, he won't fall that far. He's just too big of a name. It just simply won't happen. So let me find like a, a righty killing lefty who was going in that kind of range that I could kind of compare him to that would make make for a better comparison for, uh, for Otani. I mean, maybe it is somebody that I mentioned briefly just a few moments ago, like a... Uh, like a Matt Olson. Now he went 119. Actually, you know what? I got the name. I got the name. Jake Lamb. Jake Lamb went 141. Jake Lamb is known as somebody who beasts on righties, struggles against lefties, and even with that deficiency, possibly losing time or just struggling when he does play against them, people were still taking him within the top 150. I think I stand firm that top 150 is the right spot for Otani. And I'm open to taking him there. I think Nomar Mazzara was somebody I mentioned on the show as well. And he went 146 on average. So, yeah, somewhere in that in that area. And maybe the name value bumps him a little bit more, say, to the 130s, maybe late 120s. But it's going to be around there. And I think you can kind of – if you get 25 and 10 with a 275 average out of Otani, I mean, that's pretty good. There's not a lot of guys doing 25 and 10. In fact, let me see how many have done it just this year. Do, do, do. Let's, uh, let's get a zero threshold here on the plate appearances just to capture everybody who's, you know, come in there. Um, Charlie Blackman's 26 and 12. 
I'm just trying to look right around that 25 and 10. A guy I'm going to talk about in a moment is 25 and 14 in just 95 games. What a stud. Aaron Hicks, he's 24 and 10 right now. Uh, Didi Gregorius, 23 and 10. Gregory Polanco, 23 and 12. That might be an interesting comparison for somebody like Otani. Again, because both guys are young, and I can see some growth from from either or both as well. So maybe Polanco's draft stock, like once you see him go or once you feel comfortable ready to maybe take him. Polanco last year went 138. He's come and had his best season. Now he ended the he's going to end the season with a season-ending injury, unfortunately, to his knee. A deep bone bruise, I believe, was the uh, was the situation with Polanco. So that's thereabouts, right? You got to be careful getting too hung up on the 295 average because if he does get more plate appearances against lefties, it's going to eat into that unless he makes some strides against them. Against them, and we probably shouldn't expect a 326 against righties again. Just just to be safe, right? Just just to be smart about it. So I think you got to bring the batting average down for Otani. So that's where that's where I'm looking at for for Otani. Let's uh, let's move on to that now. The rookie of the year battle here in the NL is just going to be so crazy between these two guys and so we'll kind of mention them both offhand Juan Soto actually has the higher Woba 405 to Ronald Acuna's 396 they are so razor close let's start with Soto and listen nobody could have seen this coming this is not one where I think you change your draft strategies to make sure that you you hit on a guy like this in the future we talk about guys that don't have path to playing time, right? Maybe a Cody Bellinger who's at AAA, beasting, but has you know some potential roadblocks of like Adrian Gonzalez and a solid but unspectacular outfield. There weren't there weren't outfielders that you should have thought. You know, I like Andrew Tolles, but we shouldn't have been like, well, Andrew Tolles is blocking Cody Bellinger. You know, that was definitely one where you do say, don't get hung up on a AAA stud prospect who is quote unquote blocked because that stuff will open up. This was a 19-year-old prospect, Juan Soto, who had peaked at, um, let's see, he had peaked at A-ball in 2017 with 96 plate appearances there. And there was just no reason to expect that he could come up and and not only come up, but dominate. Because even with the, uh, the outfield that they had, which was, set in stone in terms of if they're healthy, these are the guys that are going to play. It was going to be Bryce Harper, Adam Eaton, and who's Paul forgetting Michael Taylor, something like that, like those three and Michael Taylor, again, not world beater who would block maybe a triple a Soto, but we're talking about 19 year old plus here's the, here's the reason that you could never get to Soto in your mind and say, well, let me just take him in the last round. Victor Robles was the guy. That was the Cody Bellinger type of saying, like, wait, yes, Michael Taylor's there. And, of course, Harper and Eaton are locked if they're healthy. But don't forget Robles just because he's, quote, unquote, blocked right now. Something can happen. Taylor can fall off. Somebody can get hurt, and he's that first guy up. So that was the guy. It was not 19-year-old Juan Soto. Well, things happened. Uh, Injuries really struck that team with Eaton getting hurt early. Uh, Michael Taylor not performing. Victor Robles himself got hurt. And that was paired with Juan Soto absolutely being out of his mind in the minors, doing so well that he he got another 16 games at A-ball, absolutely destroyed, 1,300 OPS. Okay, let's jump you up to high A, 15 games there. Wow, you're too good for this league, 1,256 OPS. Let's go ahead and challenge you with double A. Let, let's, okay, this young buck, 
he's good. Let's get him in double A, even if he struggles. You know, he could have put a, a like 780 OPS up there for the full season, and prospect folks would have been like, hey, this guy held his own there. That's pretty good. He basically skipped high A, 15 games. I mean, that's basically skipping it. Um, and he would have gotten good marks. Instead, he puts up a 981 there, and then they say, you know what? Let's just bring him up to the majors. Let's skip AAA. And he's hit the ground running. And how? I mean, he just, from day one, really, I believe he had, he got on base a few times his first game, I think. Let me, don't quote me on that. I'm just going to look it up. How about that? I do have this thing called the internet. It is pretty cool. And, okay, so he has that weird thing where his quote-unquote first game was the May 15th suspended game. So he hit a homer five days before his actual debut, which is a fun quirk, by the way. But his actual first game was an 0-for-1 sub-in on May 20th in the back end of a doubleheader, and he struck out. But his first start, he went 2-for-4 with a three-run yak and two runs scored. And so, you know, from his first start, he hit the ground run. Then his second start really gave you some insight. And you don't make too much of one game, but it really gave you some insight of what this 19-year-old is capable of. He went one for one with three walks. That is just so hot. And that has been his his kind of calling card all year in terms of the plate control that this guy has at 19. This plate control, to have a 21% strikeout rate and 17% walk rate, would be good for literally anybody. Joey Votto would have that and we'd say, hey, Standard Votto, just kicking ass at the, at the plate, you know, let alone a 19-year-old rookie who skipped double and triple A. Again, I'm going to say skipped double A because he was barely there, dude. Like, if you had double A season tickets and you happened to be family vacationing uh, for a given week, you missed him. You're like, oh, come on. We have these Hagerstown tickets because we were hoping to get one Soto at some—is it Hagerstown? No, that's uh, Harrisburg. I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, and you happen to be out in mid-May uh, on a family vacation. You missed him. From May 10th to May 15th, he was there because he, did, he didn't even play. It was eight games. Uh, oh, wait. He went back after that first. Okay. No, 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 no. I'm so confused by this 515 thing because he technically played on 515 twice. So, anyway, it was from 510 to 519 that he was there. Uh, and then they squinch in that little... New York Yankees home run on 515 because that's technically the the chronology of it, even though it's weird. But anyway, so yeah, he was basically there for just over a week at double A and then left. So he skipped double A. Okay, we're calling it skipped. And to and to have that kind of plate control all year, 425 plate appearances. Somebody posted this on Twitter earlier today, and I think I retweeted it. So let me just see if I can find it really quickly. His uh his home run spray chart for Juan Soto is is as sexy as this uh this plate discipline of his let me see if i can find it nope i don't think i retweeted it i'm a i'm a jerk anyway the the bottom line as you can probably guess is that it's 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 spraying across the entire outfield and this left-hander has has a few homers left right and center of his uh of his 19 this year and so let me give you the line by the way i haven't i haven't even given the stats i've gushed over the plate plate control and the the acceleration path through the minors but it's 305 420 nice 534 triple slash line with 19 homers 61 ribs 68 runs so close he needs one more to be really nice um and then two for four on the bases whatever i don't care you give me you give me a couple stone bases that's fine you go over three next year I don't care. That's not what we're here for. We're here for the power production out of this guy. 
Now, here's the thing. Where does he go from here, right? Does he does he stabilize a little bit and kind of bounce back to maybe, say, like a like a 350 Woba next year, which would be very good, by the way. Let me give you some idea of, of some folks with a 350-ish Woba this year. Let me get a uh, qualifier on these plate appearances. Now, let's say 400 plate appearances of a 350 Woba or better. Or not better, just right around the 350 mark. That would put him in the range, Juan Soto, of uh, the aforementioned Aaron Hicks. I mentioned him earlier. So Aaron Hicks, Jose Martinez, Giancarlo Stanton, Justin Smoke all have a 354. Yasmani Grandal has a 350 on the dot. Um, Nick Marquecas' amazing season has been a 352. Anthony Rizzo has a 359. Um, just below the 350 mark, you got Travis Shaw, Stephen Piscotti, and Eduardo Escobar all tied at 347. And frankly, you know, a full season of, of what those guys have been doing, ideally with Piscotti or Escobar's batting average, they're at 269 and 270 respectively, whereas Shaw's at 240. But they've got 20-something homers. They're kind of in the seven. They're going to be about 80 ribbies, 70 runs, and a couple stolen bases thrown in. That's what those guys have done. Like, that would not be what we're expecting out of Soto. But as as far as a bottom-end range, I don't think anybody is going to come away and say, that ruined my season. Now, where are we taking Soto next year? That's going to be kind of the interesting thing. And I'm really, I'm really thinking he's going to be a top 100 guy. In fact, I'm sure some of you are like, dude, of course he is. You're, you're, you're lowballing. He's going to be a top... 40 guy or something he might be he might be now will i necessarily take him there i don't know it would obviously depend who he's going around and where i'm at i love the the plate skills so much though that really does make me confident that i could take him with a pretty high pick i mean is he going to be this year's benintendi benintendi was the highest rookie um or no excuse me judge was of course of course of course of course he's not going to go judge level top 20 but Benintendi was a top 40 guy. Is that where we see Soto? Now, Benintendi was there not so much because of his plate skills, which are good, by the way, but more because of the fact that he was a power-speed combo. And so our next guy, uh, well, obviously, I'll give it away. It's, it's Acuna, obviously. Soto and Acuna are kind of neck and neck. I could see Acuna being more of the Benintendi. In fact, Acuna is playing himself to where it's going to be wild and people are going to be taking him in like the second round. But we'll get more into him in a moment. I wonder if, okay, then maybe Soto is, and there doesn't have to be an, an, an equivalent every year, but maybe he's more the Hoskins. Hoskins was going pick 48, and I remember I was I was concerned with it, saying I didn't really like taking him that high, um, despite, again, a great plate profile. So maybe he is the right comp, but he only had 212 plate appearances, Hoskins did. This is damn near full season for uh soto he should end up with about 500 plate appearances right i mean we got another couple weeks of games that should be good for 75 plate appearances i think am i crazy on that let's see 75 divided by four about 18 games they have do 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 81 oh geez hang on i'm so stupid i hit the wrong button they have 16 games left, so it's going to be close. It's going to be close. Maybe they have a couple long games. They've actually been playing really well, Washington has. So maybe he gets a, a seven-plate appearance game when they when they go off for double digits or something. He's going to be right around 500-plate appearances. The bottom line is it's going to be more than double what um, Hoskins did last year, and so maybe people are going to be more confident in him and boost Soto up even higher than Hoskins. I think the bottom line, though, is that he is going to be a top 50 guy. I think that, that much is 
I want to say clear, I think. Um, and I don't know that I hate it. I am usually a little bit reluctant to dive in uh, on, on some of these younger guys that, that do get boosted. But, man, I'm going to keep beating the drum on the plate skills, man. When you have a guy that understands the plate like this, the, the zone, it's going to be hard to really dominate him, right? 8% swinging strike rate, y'all. That's that's the swinging strike rate of a of a um, contact guy. And he has power. I mean, we're talking about a 229 ISO with that. It really is. I mean, there are some Votto-esque qualities to it from a 19-year-old in Juan Soto. So I, I can see myself doing it. I, I really can, especially if I've got some some strong vets at the top of my lineup or at the top of my draft. Some Not, not some riskier guys like an Acuna or, or anything like that. Maybe I've, I've started off with you know his teammate Harper and um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. It's hard off the top of my head to think like who can be my first two picks. Maybe I go Harper, Story, um, and then my third pick. Who would that be? And then I, you know, take him with my fourth pick. You know, go third pick, Rizzo, um, and and then Soto. You know, you got three locked in veteran types, guys that you feel like you have a pretty stable floor with. Then you take somebody with a little bit more volatility, like a like a Soto. So, I think he's going to be that top fifty for sure in most drafts. Juan Soto is, and I think the winter is only going to give us time to analyze him further and get more and more excited. So let's shift over to Acuna because, like I said, I think it's going to be a situation where, if he continues on the pace that he's been on now for the last like what two months. Um, and, and does another couple weeks of this brilliance, he's going to go in some first rounds. I mean, it, it's just it's just going to happen, especially in the NFBC, which is the what I'm citing for the average draft positions. And people just, they take bigger risks. They're trying to win an overall. You're trying to win against 450 people. You want to win your league, but but you want to make the overall. That's That's what you're really trying to do. And to get a transcendent season, if if Acuna goes and has a you know 30 30 season hitting 285 uh, i mean maybe even higher than that let's be honest he's hitting 290 this year let me give you the numbers first 290 368 575 25 homers 14 stolen bases on 19 tries uh 53 ribs 68 runs another guy he and Soto both one run away from from very peak niceness his second half man that's where we're at with it. Eleven oh nine, three twenty five, four nineteen, six ninety, with eighteen of the homers and twelve of the ribbies in the second half. Acuna's just really taken off. He's beasting again this month after a huge August, and so if he finishes strong, I think he's a lock second rounder. Again, he is that that Benintendi, um, and Benintendi was really more of a third rounder. He was an average draft pick of thirty nine. He was going in some second rounds, but it was really at the very end of the uh, t- tail end of the second round. Like his peak was 24, his peak pick. So that was not quite at the very end. These are 15 team leagues, so it wasn't quite at the very end of the second round. But that thereabouts is where Benintendi was going. And Acuna, I think, is a bigger prospect by a little bit. I think he's a, in terms of fantasy, especially because I think his speed is probably. Uh, 
more heralded. I, I still think that uh, Benintendi's speed's probably a little bit underrated in terms of what he delivers there. But Acuna has game-changing speed. I mean, if they if, if they just let him run wild, you can see 40 steals. Like, you can see 30, 40. I mean, this guy has a chance to just... Like, the sky is the limit. You know, just because there is an obscene ceiling doesn't mean that's what you project for Acuna. But you can dream on it. Yeah, this you can make some like stupid philosophical case like the sky's the limit for anybody can have you know they can do something or whatever. We're talking about reasonable range of outcomes, and with Acuna, a healthy second season where he just takes off. I mean, Jose Ramirez, man, like it it, it could be like that. He's gonna be twenty one, and you know, here's the here's the the sour note, right? Some of these rookies that, that we're going to talk about here that are beasting are going to be mediocre next year. That's that's just plain and simple how it's going to go. It's unfortunate, and uh, hopefully you don't get stuck with uh, holding the bag with them, but that's going to happen, even at the high end. Even maybe one of the first three we've talked about, Otani, Soto, Acuna, and they're going to be on kind of the lower end of their of their projection. But we haven't finished this season yet. Let's 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 dream, okay? Let's have fun. Let's not be logical Larry's and, and try to be, you know, overly logistical about it. Let's think about the upside. Not that we're going to draft just on that, because if you're going to draft just on that, then you're probably going to take a Cunha like fifth. But I think a firm second round works for me. I don't think I can get him in the, the first round is deep. And I was actually looking back at my first round that I wrote back on July 25th. I had Trout, Betts, Ramirez, Arenado, Lindor, Altuve, J.D., Freeman, Judge, Machado, the three pitchers, Sale, Scherzer, and I had Severino, actually. Maybe that should be DeGrom. Uh, Harper, I would put Harper above those pitchers now. And honestly, I'd put him just behind Freeman, probably. So like nine. Trey Turner, Giancarlo Stanton, Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, sorry, that's gone beyond my first round. But uh, 18 is Blackman. 19 is Bregman. 20 is Benintendi. So if I'm putting Benintendi there at 20, maybe that's right where... Acuna fits in. I had Starling Marte, 21, another speed guy with some pop. And I think Acuna's power is more bankable now than Marte's has really been at any time. He's had a few fluctuations, uh, 19 homers in 2015 for for Marte, and then 19 so far this year. That's in 130 games, though, so the power is up. Uh, He's going to be 30 next year, though. So, you know, we're looking at – we're trying to get a 2040 season. Well, maybe like a 25-40 season out of Marte on a, on a uh, best-case scenario. And we're already saying at age 21 that Acuna could possibly do that. So I think that's about where I'd fit him in. I, I need to do an update on this because it definitely ha- there have been things that have changed, including uh, some of those guys in the first 15. But, yeah, I think in that, you know, 20 to 25 range, by the way, that 20 to 25 range is, again, Benintendi, Marte, Baez, DeGrom, Albies, and then Justin Verlander. And maybe I have to move my bo- my boy Albies down for his teammate Acuna. You know, you look at the makeup of their season. And here's the thing. I, I acknowledge that, uh, that Albies slash line has definitely been mediocre at best since that big April. But he's still putting up the fantasy numbers. Like, don't sleep on him. Don't just go completely off the OPS and say, "Well, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not getting a good player here." You look at what he's done just since May first. 
he still has 13 homers and 10 steals. That's a that's a 1915 full season pace, um, and that's that's taking out his very best month. That's with a 268, 302, 424. Now I don't want to I don't want to get that line in the second round, but again, if that's kind of the the floor that I'm getting with all these, I'm still going to be interested in both. And you know, I could see myself if I'm picking like 15th. Nah, that'd be too early to go 15, 16. I'm just I'm trying to think of a scenario where I could get both. And uh I don't know that I don't know that it's possible unless Albies goes to the third round. If he dips in the third round, maybe I get maybe I get a Cunha there at uh in the twenties and then come all the way back around and Albies is still there. That that's gonna be the best case scenario right now, but we'll see. We'll see what happens with uh with Albies. I think his stock has dimmed a little bit for some folks. I remain firmly entrenched on on his capabilities uh i still don't think we've seen the best of what uh, always can do at the dish too i still think he's a guy who maybe got a little too aggressive because the results were there and he didn't really need to have any patience but i still think he's more of an eight to ten percent walk rate sort of guy i think he understands what's going on at the plate but he makes so much contact that he was he's just been a free swinger this year so anyway He's not a rookie anymore. This is not who we're talking about. We're talking about Acuna. I think he's a top 25 guy, and he is going to sneak into some first rounds without a doubt. All right, now we're jumping down um, a few levels here. Uh, actually, let me do this real quick. Let me put a little threshold on this. So we talk about more of the guys who have played all year sort of rookies and then get into some of the Jeff McNeil Jesse Winker types who have stunted plate appearances but are also worth talking about. So let me put a 350 plate appearance cap on this, which actually eliminates Otani, but I want to talk about him because he's a special case. Let's talk about the two Yankees, Glaber Torres and Miguel Andahar. And they've had very comparable seasons, um, although Torres has basically done it in less time than than Andahar, and it shows in, in the runs total. Uh, in in the run scored total, but let's go with Andahar first. Two ninety nine, three thirty two, five eighteen, twenty three homers, seventy nine ribbies, seventy six runs, a couple stolen bases. Torres two seventy five, three forty four, four ninety five, with twenty three homers as well, seventy ribbies. That's nine fewer, forty seven runs. So that's that's well fewer, um, and he has a hundred and twenty fewer plate appearances Torres does versus Andahar and five stolen bases. So they've both been really good, undoubtedly. Un- um, undoubtedly? Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Why, do not, why don't I know words sometimes when I do these solo casts? Why am I dumb? Does anyone know that? Let me see if I can hear this. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Why did I put a B in it? Why am I a stupid human? Jeez. Undoubtedly. God, I hate myself. Anyway, I'm undoubtedly a clown undoubtedly uh both fantastic seasons a 360 woba for andahar 356 for torres that that's such a small margin that can change in a game you know torres goes four for four in a game andahar goes zero for four and they they flip or or they're they're matching at that point they meet in the middle at like 358 i still think torres gets more hype he was the hot, more highly touted prospect so like I, I i also get it but um I think that's going to make Andohar a bit of a value next year. Now, when we talked about them a little bit on the pod with Justin, 
he mentioned that he thinks Machado is going to go out to New York, which is going to cloud some things with Andahar. But it's not like Andahar is going to go to the bench. There's no universe where that happens. He may just shift over to first base because he's also terrible at third. Um, and so they, not just that though, they could also make some moves around those guys, right? Maybe they ship off a Greg Bird, or maybe they ship off a Didi. I mean, they they tend. I think they love Didi. I don't really think that that's necessarily going to happen. But it's not out of the realm of possibilities. You get Machado, you flip Didi. Machado goes to short. I know he's had struggles at short this year by the metrics. They really don't like him at all. I'm just saying it's possible. Um, But we'll see. Let's just judge them on their own right now. And it's tough to figure out where they might go. Let me do this. Let me look at shortstops from this year's draft class. Yeah, I think... think, uh, Torres, I'm going to focus on Torres first because I do think he's going to go a little bit earlier. I think he's going to be in that in that range um, that we saw a real good cluster of guys go this year. Hang on, I'm pulling it up. And it was kind of in that 100 to 130 range that Baez, Story, Gregorius, and even Marlon Gonzalez now, you know, he was, an ex- he was a special circumstance. He was a tough one for me because I value his flexibility, Marwin Gonzalez, but I knew he wasn't going to be as good as he was last year. Like I just I just inherently knew. I think everyone did, right? I'm not I'm not touting myself on some great figuring out that uh, Marwin Gonzalez at an age 28 breakout wasn't going to repeat. He has boosted his numbers a little bit recently. This is not about Marwin Gonzalez, but I, I think he's going to go in that kind of range. So he could range as high as the early 100s for like a Yankee tax all the way down to maybe one 130 for Glaber Torres. Because also, shortstop's deep. I think some of you might be willing to take him in the top 100 more firmly. I don't know. I don't think it's out of bounds. Like, I don't, I'm not disgusted by it if, if, if that's what we're talking about here. This is a really tough one for me because, like I said, shortstop is deeper. I really love, you know, I think I'm going to have an early round shortstop this year. Um, and so that might just push him down my board a little bit for Torres just by virtue of the fact that I, I won't need a shortstop. Obviously I'll still need a middle and it's a position like any other. It doesn't mean you should ignore it. Um, I think sometimes people go too far with pushing down the, uh, the, the middle and, and corner. I understand that you can pick from a deeper pool and you can kind of wait on it, but I, I don't, I don't like Ignoring, say, a great player, like let's say a Torres kind of falls lower than you would think. Maybe he he is there at like one pick 135 um, and you want to leave that spot open just because you want to get a later guy. No, no, take take the value there. But anyway, that's more draft strategy than anything else. 275, 344, 495. That's a hell of a line from a 21-year-old Glaber Torres. I think the Yankee tax is going to keep him from going too low. And... Every league I've been in, every league, I swear, has the Yankee tax for guys. Guys on the Yankees, they just have more hype. They're just more well-known. They just tend to go higher than their than their value more often than not. A lot of times it's deserved, right? They have a lot of great players throughout their history. So taking them, you know, judge where he was going, that's fine. I don't know that that was Yankee tax. That was just being a stud and paying for a stud. But I do think sometimes guys get boosted up. Didi Gregorius coming off the season that he had. 
In fact, actually, that might be the best way to analyze this because look at the season that D.D. Gregorius had last year. 287, 318, 478 with 2587. Boy, that sounds a lot like what Glaber Torres has done this year. Glaber Torres, however, has done it in 108 games so far. So he's going to add, what, 15 games on top of that? So I can't see him. I, I'm, I'm amending this. He can't go any later than where Didi was going this year, which is 120. So he's going to go higher than that, I think, with regularity. I would put him more in the 80 to 110 range for, for Glaber Torres. And at that point, I mean, if he's going around Xander Bogarts, I'm still taking Xander Bogarts. I still, I still believe that Xander Bogarts has like a true huge breakout in the offing. And this year's season was excellent, by the way. So let's not sleep on this and say that if he, quote unquote, just repeats this next year, 289, 361, 522, 21 homers, 93 ribbies, six steals, 67 runs. That's in 124 games for Bogarts. But I'm talking like, a, a top 30 type of hitter season, I think, is possible. Um, yeah, so... Oof. Yeah, I think that's where Torres is going to go. He's going he's gonna to be as high as that 80 range, and I think we could definitely see see that for him. All right, as for Andohar, I'm trying to think where he's going to go. Let's, let's look at the third baseman again, try to get kind of a a look at this year's pool and assess where he might go factoring in the Yankee Yankee tax. Does he go as high as Devers did? Devers was on average about pick 116, peaking as high as pick 54. Holy moly. Now, I understand it's easy now with hindsight to be like, oh, why would anybody take Devers that high? And he was a, an exciting rookie, heavily uh, heralded prospect who had a pretty solid 240 plate appearances as a 20-year-old. But again, he's a dose of reality on on where our expectations should be. I know he's dealt with injuries too, but some of these guys are going to deal with injuries. Uh, so I'm not I'm not using Devers to say don't take Andahar. I'm just saying like, wow, look at how high he went. Maybe Mustakis. I'm more comfortable with the Mustakis range. Mustakis was pick 135 on average. I think that's going to make me more comfortable to take Andahar around there if I'm going to be drafting him. I'm not sure. I don't know. There's a lot to like in, in Miguel Andahar's uh, line, though, so I don't want to pretend like I don't buy into any of what, what he's done. I mean, he's had a fantastic season. Um, his plate skills are leave a little to be desired at 17% strikeout rate. I like that, but only 4% walk rate. At least if you are not going to walk, then don't strike out. And so anything sub 20% is really strong for a strikeout rate, especially with that kind of pop. So I do like that for Andahar. Um, let me see one thing. I want I want to check something about where has Andahar been batting? Because if they do go out and make moves this year, and, you know, Judge has been out for a while, like is he going to move down the lineup? He's kind of, okay, spent the bulk of his time, 26, 37, 27 games in 6, 7, 8, respectively, 10, 14, and 15 in the three, four, five spots. So he's kind of been all around the place, uh, all around the lineup. The only one area where he was not great from an OPS standpoint that he had a significant amount of games, well, wasn't good batting third, but that's 10 games. I mean, that's 44 plate appearances with a 629. Uh, 147 plate appearances out of the seven hole with a 760 OPS. I'm not going to read too much in any any of those, really, um, because in the eight spot, he was really good. So it's like... You know, 
he held his own when he was in the heart of the lineup. He was excelling when he was in the bottom of the lineup. So I don't think that that should change things too much, except from a counting category standpoint. I mean, it's all, it's always going to have an impact on the counting categories, no matter just because of the way the, the offense, uh, you know, the way it works. You're going to get fewer plate appearances down there and likely score fewer runs, drive fewer. Although this is going to be a good offense. So that's kind of offset by a good New York Yankees offense. So yeah, I think that's where I'm most comfortable is probably somewhere in that 130 to 160 range. You know, I give kind of a two round gap. It sounds huge. This is two rounds, right? And so, you know, you look at, um, you look at where somebody like Moustakis, his range was actually 61 to 203. That's crazy that, that it, it varied that much. Although I think the 203 might've come when he was unsigned and we had no idea what was going on. Um, Although, why would he go 61 once we knew that he was going to be back in case? I don't know. I don't know. It could be an outlier on each, right? You could have just one draft where Mike Moustakis himself drafted him 61st and then, you know, you know, uh, had a group of friends make sure that he gets pushed down to 203 because he was a jerk. If you don't know what that means, just Google, you know, Mike Moustakis, Eric Hosmer, and re- read about that. Read that article from ages ago. But anyway, that's where I'm at with Andahar. I think you gotta you gotta kind of move him down a bit. Let's talk about some of these other guys that are, are going to go in. I'm not going to try to identify the round with some of these guys because once I think, particularly in like NFBC drafts, this is what makes foot, uh, baseball so interesting to me. Is like once you start to get say into round uh, past like round ten, let's say pick 150 to 175 ish, so. 10, 11, you start to get in those double-digit rounds, it really opens up. People really start to make their value judgments, especially with pitching, but I see it with hitting too. So I don't know that any of these other guys are going to be top 10-round guys. Let me make sure. Yeah, because even looking at some of the guys with the smaller samples, I don't think they're going to jump up there. And so then even looking at the guys with bigger samples, you know, I like Harrison Bader quite a bit. Um, he's had a 10-15 season, homer stolen base, 270-341-423, but he has a 29% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. I do love I do love defense first, guys. We've been talking about this for years on the podcast that somebody who excels at defense that can kind of keep themselves in the lineup even when their bats aren't great, uh, I do like that. So I think the playing time is going to be there for Bader on a full season scale. Can he put together like um, – you know, a 13-25 kind of season? Can can we really see the stolen bases jump up? I think so. He is a he's a true speedster, y'all. If you look at the sprint speed leaderboard, uh, Buxton leads at 30.5 feet per second in 35 competitive runs. Obviously, small sample for him this year, but obviously we know that that's not boosted because of a small sample. We know he belongs up there. But then you have one, two, three, four, five guys tied for second at 30.1, and Bader's in that group. With Billy Hamilton, Trey Turner, Adam Engel, Magnaris Sierra, and Alberto Mondesi. I actually don't think Mondesi is a rookie, so you're going to be spared from me talking about him. Yeah, he exceeded his rookie limits in 2016 um, when he had a disastrous 149 plate appearances. So he's still just 22 years old, by the way. I, don't get me started on Mondesi. I'll do a whole podcast on it. I cannot wait to overdraft him. It's going to be so much fun. Um, but anyway... As far as Bader goes, you know, I can't, I can't really, I don't think top 10 round. I think that's just, that would just end up being too high at the end of the day. Let me look at the outfield pool and kind of get an assessment, just a general range. I think if you're looking at pick 200, 
um, guys around there this year were Avisel Garcia, Steven Souza, Odubel Herrera, Mitch Haniger. They ranged from 198 to 220. That's a reasonable spot for, for Bader. Um, you know, he won't have enough stolen bases to kind of get this sort of hype, but the the high end of that might be the 172 pick area, which is where Delano DeShields went. Uh, but I do think that this is a true burner type who could really get the stolen bases going. So don't sleep on Bader from that aspect. I really do like him. I'll have him on a bunch of leagues next year because I just don't think it'll cost me that much. This guy's better NL only, probably just kind of a solid, steady glue guy. But Brian Anderson deserves some love. Obviously, it's been a disastrous season in Miami. They're 57 and 87, although that's not the league's worst. The Baltimore Orioles have 41 wins, y'all. 41 wins gross but uh yeah for for the uh for the marlins brian anderson's done a good job uh being a nice steady bat at the third base outfield sort of uh back and forth 58 games at third 91 in the outfield i like the dual eligibility too neither third nor outfield is particularly difficult to fill but that doesn't mean that it's not valuable because the real value in positional flexibility for me is particularly when you get in something like a 15 team league like the nfbc that doesn't have dl is to be able to shift guys around so that you're always open to the hottest waiver pickup of the week that's what i really like about it is that you can make maneuvers with three four different guys to make sure that oh wow there's only a the hot guy this week is a second baseman and i'm not locked into where i can't you know i can't take out my uh ozzy albies i have to use him there and my middle is is somebody really good you know you don't have flexibility for it but then you can start moving guys around and boom you're open to everyone who comes up so any anytime you have multiple in multiple uh positions it's a positive uh 10 home runs 59 ribbies 79 runs 272, 357, 398 uh, for Brian Anderson. So the power isn't really there. This is why I'm talking like he's a glue guy. He's a a, a fifth outfielder, a, a corner infield type. Definitely a deeper league consideration. Going to be 26 next year. Can you build on the power a little bit? Perhaps. Uh, I'm trying to look at what his power output was in the minors. It wasn't particularly special either. In fact, he had a 417 slug in the minors in 1,837 plate appearances. So to have a 394 in 709 major league plate appearances dating back to last year, that that's about right. I, I mean, he's pretty much, he's been kind of that guy who, if you shave off a little bit of his minor league numbers for your major league uh, projection, he's nailed it. And so it's not special, but it's a guy who plays every day. 272 average is nice. I, again, I like him way more for NL only. Someone to consider, though, just want to give him a little bit of a little bit of run there. Uh, let's move on now to Joey Wendell. Now, first things first, he's older. He is a rookie, but he's an older guy. He's, he's 28 years old, which uh, he didn't start with this team with the Rays, which is where he's on now. But man, that's just like so perfect for them to have a 28 year old. The only team it might have been better on would be the Cardinals. Like those two teams love to kind of have those those slow roasted prospects who come up and they're ready like they they are their peak when they get up um, and this might be his best season but Joey Wendell has been fantastic thanks in large part to a big second half I'll get to his second half numbers in a moment here's his bottom line 293 339 424 seven homers does have 37 extra base hits with six triples and 24 doubles but just seven homers 13 steals on 17 tries I like that 51 ribbies 52 runs and 480 plate appearances I mentioned that his second half is where he's really taken off let me get just some numbers on that uh, 824 OPS, 309 average, 
three of the homers, six of the stolen bases in 184 plate appearances. So he had four homers and seven steals in 296 in the first half. So he kind of meandered along, actually got to, off to a pretty good start in April, then was really pedestrian to bad in May and June. And then basically since July's come, he's been really good. A little meh so far this month with a 718 OPS. But uh, Wendell's done some good things. It probably the the speed helps him a little bit more, but he's probably a good comp. And I didn't even plan to do this, but it's probably good to have mentioned him right around Brian Anderson because it's probably that same type of deal. Um, he will have just single eligibility. Well, he could get double eligibility depending on if he can get three more games in the outfield or six more games at third base. He could pair that with second base. He's got 17 outfield games, 14 third base games, uh, 94 at second base. So he's going to come in second base. If he gets the dual eligibility, again, it would only further the uh, the Brian Anderson comp. Just one of those glue glue guys, solid player. He'll be 29 next year. I don't think he'll be special, but if you think kind of the Logan Forsythe mold with maybe more homers than, you know, more speed than homers in Forsythe with probably the other way around, that's probably a smart range to have Joey Wendell in. Christian Villanueva, remember when he got off to an amazing start? And one of the reasons I liked him, and I actually thought he had a chance to get to 30 homers, was because he kills lefties. And there's so many good lefties, or there's so many lefty starts. I mean, there are a lot of them that are good, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter for Villanueva. He crushes lefties. There were so many lefty starters in that division that I really thought he had a chance to get to 30. Well, he's hit 20 homers in 110 games. So I, I still feel like, that probably was going to happen despite the fact that he just doesn't hit righties. 236, 299 gross, 450 with the 20 homers, 46 ribs, 42 runs, three stolen bases and 384 plate appearances, 574 OPS against righties, 1118 against lefties. So really a platoon guy that's going to cut into his bottom line. Um, but obviously an injury, a, a fractured middle finger has really hurt him and curbed uh, what his what his bottom line could be this year, and he's been out since August 21st, and uh, we'll see when he's even going to return at this point. But that's really going to keep his uh, his games played down. Again, I think an NL only guy probably best for a daily league when you can really kind of get him in there against the lefties. It is still, I think, 30 homer power though, uh, because if they do play him against righties, he'll get homers eventually. I mean, he'll have a bad triple slash, but if he improves at all against left against righties. That might give him some mixed league viability, but I think right now you're looking NL only for Christian Villanueva. Another big power guy who has a similar line to Villanueva, but but kind of a different makeup of it, is Daniel Polka. Now, I remember when Polka was in the Minnesota organization, and he kind of goes the other way. He's a lefty batter who crushes righties and I think struggles a bit against lefties. But he doesn't crush righties to the degree of um, of Villanueva, but there's so much volume available against righties that I think he could be a 30 homer type of guy in a full season as well. I mean, he's hit 22 homers in just 392 plate appearances, but with a 238, 288 OBP, gross, 473 slug, uh, with the 22 homers, 57 ribs, 48 runs, and a couple SBs and three tries. Um, another older guy, though, going to be 27 next year. I think. I look at it and it's like maybe the a Matt Davidson sort of deal is probably the best that you can hope for. And they've actually had similar lines this year. So wherever you were kind of drafting Matt Davidson, maybe that's where you want to put Polka. It's an AL only sort of deal. It really is. 
Um, let's see. Who else here? Let's get into some of these smaller sample guys who have been beasting, though. Jeff McNeil. Wow. There's a, this could just be anecdotal, and I haven't done any, I've done zero research on this. So maybe I'm full of crap, and this happens every year. Seems like an older rookie class, though. Jeff McNeil's 26. I'm going to talk about G-Man Choi in a moment. He's 27. Uh, Philip Irvin, 25. Um, I already mentioned Wendell Villanueva is 27. Um, Mitch Garver, good good catcher too this year. He's he's 27 years old as well. So that is a little bit interesting. That's a little bit well. It's funny though because you juxtapose that against uh, Soto being 19, Acuna being 20, uh, Otani being 23, coming over from Japan. Torres 21. So maybe it's just kind of on both ends, and there's not a lot of the 23, 24 year olds or I'm full of crap. Either or. Who knows? I mean, I couldn't say undoubtedly earlier, so you can't really take anything I say seriously. But let's talk about Jeff McNeil for the Mets. He is 26-year-old, but uh, he's come up, and boy, his hit tool looks sharp. And I think it is something that has has some believability to it because even when you acknowledge that the Babbitt's running high at 367, you have to give him a lot of credit for that, though, too. He has a 9% strikeout rate. He clearly understands what he's doing at the dish. He's got a good spray chart. He's got a good uh, ground ball, fly ball, line drive spray as well. I don't think that's really called a spray, but his batted ball profile is strong and leads me to believe that he can continue to hit for a high average, maybe not 340, because I'm just not sure I would ever project anybody at a 340. But if he's someone, you know, you're, you're drafting him hoping, and or not hoping, but damn near expecting like a a. a 300 average from Jeff McNeil. Now, are they going to just insert him into the second base spot and let him play next year? I don't know. Um, the numbers around that triple slash 340, 398, 494, two homers, 16 ribbies, 24 runs, four steals, and five tries, and 173 plate appearances. So it's a bit of an empty batting average, but batting average can be tough, especially to get late, and he won't be expensive. So is it something where maybe you kind of take it on as long as you got your counting categories handled elsewhere? He hasn't shown a real platoon either. Now, I think they've been playing him in a platoon, but he is hitting 333 in his 41 plate appearances against lefties. Let me take a look at what he did in the minors this year and see if if he was platooned up and uh, didn't quite hit well. Actually, let me look at what he did last year. In the minors, he hit a total of 295 including 417 against lefties. That's 53 bite appearances. So it's small samples, but uh, his minor league career is a 311 average. And uh, he hit 327 in, in AAA. Now it's only 49 games. Interesting path, right? Because he, like I said, he has 26. He had all of 31 games in AAA this year after 18 last year. So it, it is bizarre. He probably did a lot of this. Uh, not probably. He absolutely did a lot of this as a bit of an older guy kind of beating up on on the talent but I don't want to take too much away like I think this hit tool is legit it is empty though and so I think that that's part of what held Jeff McNeil down I don't rule out this having some value at the back end on the in the reserve rounds of an NFBC style league um, it goes without saying that his better value is going to be in the NL only I just man I wish I could get something could I could I can we believe in the speed at all? Can can we say that we can get 12 to 15 stolen bases there? I don't know. You know, he, he doesn't have some big sprint speed number that makes me uh, excited from that end, but you don't have to have that that kind of a number just to be good there. It's more of, obviously, that can be the tool, but you can also be a smart base runner and, and kind of work your way to double digits. So 
Jeff McNeil's interesting. I love the batting average. Um, and like I said, it's very difficult to get batting average late in games, but I feel like he's one of those guys that you would draft and never really feel comfortable getting him in, in your lineup. And then you're going to miss all the three and four hit games because he's on your bench. Then you are going to put him in and you're going to happen to get the, the two for 18 run that every guy inevitably has. So I don't know, probably a stay away for me, uh, barring those super deep leagues. G-Man Choi is, is a guy I mentioned as well. 27 years old. Been knocking around for a while. I believe he was with the Angels before. He's with the Rays this year. He's had some massive hits for them as they, they're making some noise now. Uh, they're 80 and 65, and yet that puts them third in their division. That would have them two games out in the Central, um, the, N, the AL Central. That would have them four games out in the NL Central. That would have them tied for the lead in the NL West. And two games out in the AL East, and then in the NL West, it would be, or excuse me, in the AL West, it would be similar where they'd be in third place. But they're in this wild card hunt now, all of a sudden. Although the Yankees and A's have really kind of pulled away, they have a ten game or they have a nine game lead on the Rays, uh, but the A's are just one game back of the Yankees to get that home home spot too. Wow! Uh, but the Rays have played brilliantly uh, down the stretch here. They've been really good, and, and uh, G-Man Choi's actually been a, been a solid part of it, like I said, with some really huge hits. Um, he was with Milwaukee earlier this year. Uh, he was with the Angels a while ago, and then with the Yankees for a spell last year. So he's bounced around a whole bunch. Maybe has finally found a home. Uh, this year, for the season, he's at 280, 362, 540 with nine homers, 29 ribbies, 20 steals. Or excuse me, 20 steals, I wish. Two steals, 20 runs in 185 plate appearances. With um, That's total. That's including his little Milwaukee time. He's actually had a better triple slash with the Rays, uh, but he only had 32 plate appearances with Milwaukee. So it's not like it's holding it down that much. This is who he's been. He's a platoon guy, but it is strong side platoon. So there is something there. Again, if if we knew that he was going to come in and be like the full-time versus righty first baseman, that would give G-Man Choi some, some vi- viability. I don't know that we're going to get that out of the Rays, though. I don't know that they would commit to that. They still have Jake Bowers, who hit the ground running in the majors, but is really sputtered. He's only going to be 23 next year, though. He's kind of their future. They still have C.J. Crone. I think G-Man is, is really kind of a spot-in sort of guy here and there, not somebody that they're going to really commit to uh, in any way. And that and that really robs his, his fantasy value because – um, you're really only going to get spot starts against right-handers. And so, you know, make him your DH, uh, your utility perhaps in an AL only, but I, I, I can't get too excited about him. Except when I watch him play, I get excited when he does big things. So he's one of those that's fun to watch, and you're watching him do big things, hit walk-offs and whatnot. And I know sometimes that translates into, oh, I want to go get him on my team. I, I, this happens to me all the time. You see guys have exciting plays and do things, and you're like, well, let me go get him on my fantasy team. Then you look, and you're like, he doesn't really fit. There's just no real way to get him on the team here. Uh, but let's stick with the Rays and talk about somebody I am very excited about, even more so than G-Man or Joey Wendell. And uh, that's going to be Willie Adamas. And I'm not as bitter on this one as I am a Eugenio Suarez because the Tigers got Alfredo Simon for a Eugenio Suarez. This was part of the David Price deal. And at the time... He was one of the Tigers' top prospects, and if you're one of the top you know, two or three, those were the only good prospects they had. They, their, their lists only ran two or three deep. So we all knew that he was going to be somebody who could end up not – I don't want to say burning them because, again, they got David freaking Price. But it feels like a burn because it happens down the line when Price is already long gone, and so you're like, ah, oh, 
we're so stupid for doing that. No, you 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 you're getting an ace. You have to give something big, and they gave Adamus, who's uh who's had a pretty solid season. He's he's kind of a league average guy if you look at his bottom line right now. In fact, I think he has a 100. Let me see. 98, 98 WRC plus, where 100 is average. It's a 311 Woba, 262 average, 327 OBP, 388 slug. Powers down a little bit, but eight homers, six steals, 36 runs, 25 ribbies. Um, and, and he's had a nice little second half. That's what I really like is he's kind of coming on. As he's getting his footing, he's been better. Uh, 289, 363, 416 with five homers, five steals in 169. Nice plate appearances in the second half. So I do like that. And been we had an excellent August, and it's holding up nicely again in, in September so far at 324, 410, 353. So a lot of base hits thanks to a 478 Babbitt. This fits my mold, though, of quality defenders who get inserted into the lineup and they don't really move because they can play good defense. He's a pretty strong shortstop. I don't know where the metrics have him. I'm actually looking that up right now. But when he was coming up, um, that was supposed to be one of his – he got a good arm and and solid – not like elite. This is not uh, Brandon Crawford-esque or anything like that. But it is somebody whose defense should keep him in the lineup. Not to mention the fact that even if it was more of mediocre defense – the Rays will sacrifice defense at times because they shift a ton and they want to get a better bat in the lineup and they want to see this guy develop. I like Willie Adamas. I don't think he'll cost much. I do see him with some mixed league viability because his price will be down. No one's going to really be seeing this this line jump off the, the page next year. I think even if he has two good weeks to finish the season. No one's going to be thinking, oh, I got to get, uh, got to get Willie Adamas on my team. And I think he could actually go pick 300 or later right and so that's almost free at that point i mean we're talking we're talking way low um and that's somebody that i'm going to be really interested in and uh i i think we could have some nice power speed capability here now he does have six steals in 10 attempts which is not good but if he improves that he's a top 100 guy in sprint speed and there's a boatload of ties by the way because we're talking about um the the feet per second i mentioned there was five guys tied for second at 30.1 but if you go look at it the last guy listed is bader and somebody would say oh he's sixth well no he's like he's tied for second then there's three guys tied for third then there is keon broxton by himself at 29.8 then three guys then five guys then four guys you know so the bottom line is is that when you look at adamas uh he has a 28.5 that is 97th he's the 97th player listed but he's probably with ties, I don't know, like 60th, which is pretty good. The bottom line is he's got some good speed. So he has to be smarter on the bases and he can get up to that double digits. I think we could see 20 steals, I think, before 20 homers from Adamus. And so he's never been like a huge runner in the minors. Um, he has a bunch of double digit seasons, but nothing over 13. 13 would be his high at double uh, A Montgomery in 2016. But I think we could see some uh, some speed there, decent batting average. I like Adamus, and if he can have some growth next year, he could be he could be a fun rookie for sure, or a fun sophomore, I should say. All right, I guess it's a good thing that I only did hitting rookies because uh, this might have been like a ten hour podcast. Uh, a couple other guys I just want to talk about briefly. Jesse Winker would have been really interesting to kind of see how his season could have finished up, but he was cut short at eighty nine games with a shoulder injury. That ended the season prematurely. 299, 405, 431 slash uh, with seven homers, 38 runs, 43 ribbies, uh, no steals. 
Another guy with excellent, excellent plate plate control, excuse me, 14% strikeout rate, 15% walk rate for Winker. Really love what he's doing. He was really starting to show power before he went out. Now, that's kind of the question that I have, though. Will this shoulder injury, uh, it was a subluxation, uh, right shoulder subluxation, and that cost him the rest of the season on July 31st. Is that going to impact the power next year, or is this enough time off that – that we shouldn't expect too much to happen. Actually, he was shifted to the 60-day DL on the 31st. His season actually ended on July 24th. Um, I'm curious on that, but I do think there's some batting average goodness here. There's definitely OBP goodness as far as uh, OBP leagues go. So Jesse Winker's an interesting guy. I do think that the 89 games played will keep his price down, though. Plus, being on the Reds, they're kind of kind of a hidden bulk. They're actually kind of a hidden gem, though. I think that they still don't get the credit they deserve as an offense. They're a last-place team. Nobody really associates that. Uh, the only news that you really hear is Votto's unimpressive season. I still don't think that Jeanette, Suarez are really getting their douche. Scott Shubler's had a solid season. Heck, even a guy I've been super harsh on, Jose Peraza, has made me look foolish with a big 293 average, 11 homers, 22 stolen base season. So uh, good on him there. They're a quality offense. While I'm on the Reds, I uh, mentioned Phil Irvin. Uh, he's a 25-year-old with a 270, 346, 4, 433 slash line. I wonder I wonder if there's going to be some changes in that outfield this year. They already moved on from Duvall, which opened up a spot for, for Irvin to play more regularly. But then, of course, Winker could come back. They still have Billy Hamilton. They have the aforementioned Scott Shebler. Do they make some moves here that, that open things up to where it's a... I don't know. Does Irvin play center? Who who would be the center fielder if they moved? Um, if they if they moved Hamilton, I don't know. Maybe they move a Shebler. I don't know there because they can kind of go a lot of different routes. The thing with Hamilton is that while his bat remains painfully awful, he's still a high quality center fielder, and so you kind of like having him him there in center field. And you'd want Winker. I don't know, would it just be Winkler and Shebler kind of uh, on, on the edges there? And then and then Irvin maybe makes a good fourth outfielder. Nothing crazy there that I'm drafting, but he has had a solid season. Last one. Actually, you know what? Two more. Two more because I did, I did want to mention Austin Meadows, who really acquitted himself well this year. And he's a guy I've, I've made mention a trillion times on this show that I'm, prospects are not my strongest suit, especially once you get kind of deeper than, than double A really. Um, I don't have the bandwidth to always keep up on them, but I've made a concerted effort to really stay stronger on them this year. Um, but but Meadows is a guy I've watched his whole kind of ascent through the minors. And I, this happens a lot, I think, where guys are, are propped up and the old prospect fatigue sets in at a certain point. There There is no set cutoff. I don't always know when it kicks in. But I remember when he came up, Nobody was really that excited. Like not not on not there was like he, it's not like he was going for free or anything like that. But the hype that was there for Austin Meadows say a couple years ago did not match where it was when he actually came up this year. And that kind of surprised me. I was like, "Well, wasn't this still like an elite prospect?" And I know that he didn't have a a great season last year. In fact, it was pretty bad. It was an 81 game season, so it was only about half a season and the numbers weren't good. But this was still a guy that People were so excited about, and he'd been hitting pretty well uh, in the minors before his call-up. Actually, I take that back. He hadn't been hitting that well, so maybe that's where the excitement had drained. But I wonder if 
you know, he'd been in the minors for so long that maybe he was just like, ah, let me just grind through this and get up to the majors. I don't know. But I ended up picking him up anywhere I could, and uh, he really excelled in his major league sample. 292, 327, 468 with five homers, four stolen bases in 165 plate appearances. Gets shifted to Tampa Bay in the Chris Archer deal. Hasn't been called up with them yet, mainly because uh, he's been killing it so much at AAA, and they're actually in the playoffs. So I believe that's why he's still down in the minors, even though they've been playing well. And let's be honest, they don't really have a shot to do anything. I mean, as, as well as they've been playing, I mean, they would need to play just as well, if not better, the rest of the way to really do some damage. But put this in perspective, he had two homers uh, and a 7-12 OPS in 179 plate appearances at AAA Indianapolis with Pittsburgh. In 106 plate appearances with AAA Durham, he has 10 homers. 344 average, 1167 OPS. So he's been absolutely on one. So when he does get called up, I do think Austin Meadows is somebody you want. I could see his draft value being pushed up. If he comes up, has a final two weeks, 10 days of of excellence for them after those AAA playoffs are done, I think there's going to be some real excitement around Austin Meadows this year. Now, that excitement isn't going to translate into an obscene cost by any stretch, but I do think he'll he's somebody that, um, I don't know, let's say, could he be pushed up into the 170 range at kind of the low end maybe? Maybe even a little bit higher than that? I could see that. You know, Manny Margot, we saw what he did last year. Now, He's he's a tough comparison because he is so speed driven. Margot is, and that makes people do crazy things in fantasy. Um, but let me see where Meadows' speed is. Does he have that kind of speed? Not quite. He does have really strong speed. Meadows does, but not quite where Margot is. Margot is twenty uh, fifth, and again with ties, he's probably like eighth in sprint speed. He's at twenty nine point four, and Meadows is at twenty eight point nine. So not that far behind though he does have does have real speed and his powers really come along and so uh yeah i think somewhere in that range is where i'm going to be comfortable uh taking my shots on on meadows i'm going to be interested in him next year quite a bit that lineup too is gonna is really starting to come together with some big things in tampa bay because they're gonna have a full year of fam so they're gonna have like a fam kiermeyer meadows outfield um well the infield maybe isn't as good <laughs> i was like oh you know What's Wendell really going to do? Adamus, I do like. They'll run a, probably a first base platoon. So maybe just the outfield, maybe not the whole, maybe not the whole lineup. But uh, Matt Duffy quietly was solid. He was kind of Wendellian as well, though. They have a lot of guys like that who are just like solid but unspectacular, kind of linger in that 98 to 108 range of, of WRC plus, basically kind of average. Um, but the outfield could actually be something special. We'll see if Kiermaier uh, keeps going with what he's been doing lately because otherwise he's had a pretty bad season. But uh, I think Pham and Meadows will be two very exciting pieces for the Rays. Um, and then Fran Mill Reyes, the last guy I want to talk about for the Padres. He's come up. He's had some major power. Now, 22 years old, I think that is. I think there is some dispute on that. I don't know. Uh, don't don't fully quote me on that, but uh, I, I have heard some things that have suggested that might be a little bit older. Um, but he's hit 15 homers in uh, 218 plate appearances. That's really strong. 262, 317, 522. So you're talking about a 256 eye. So he does strike out a ton, though. 31% strikeout rate against only a 7% walk rate. So he's going to have that kind of hanging overhead where um, it could really crater the average. But it looks like 30 homer power. 
even if it comes with a 240 average. Um, and that's always interesting. So Fran Mil Reyes is an interesting guy out there. San Diego should have no real reason to keep him out of the lineup, right? You know, play these young guys, see where they're at. Fran Mil Reyes, Hunter Renfro, uh, Manuel Margot, that should kind of be their outfield, right? Although, damn, then you got to get Myers in there. Why the hell did they sign Eric Hosmer? Is the question people have been asking all year. I don't know. Because it just, it, it, you have to force Myers into the outfield. Although they've been playing him at third base. But that's Villanueva. Well, Myers would play over Villanueva. How many third game third base games has he played? 23. Okay, so maybe that's his new home. Maybe Myers is the, the new third baseman. And they can run that Renfro, Margot, Reyes outfield out there. And that'd be kind of interesting. They've, they're putting some things together, too. I love Luis Urias. He hasn't been uh, special by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, now he's out. He pulled a hamstring, and it's going to cost him the rest of the year, so that sucks. Uh, he's hit, he hit 208 in his 53-point appearance sample. He got off to a good start, then kind of uh, plateaued a little bit, or dipped down a little bit, I should say. But, I mean, you're talking a couple games, a couple offers take you from uh, 267 to 171 and then you bounce back up to 208 before you got here like there's nothing to put into a 12 game sample for you know Louis series hopefully the uh, injuries all set I mean I think a pulled hamstring shouldn't you know linger into the next year but uh, that's where I'm at with the rookie hitters uh, David Bodie we'll see no, just don't really think there's any playing time for him Franchi Cordero like a fourth outfielder type two Nico Goodrum for the Tigers did some things he's gonna be 27 next year he's a utility guy he could have some speed that's AL only maybe the one that I didn't talk about that I should have given more burn to is Lourdes Gurriel because he should get a lot of playing time there did have a great batting average I don't know if there's a whole lot around the batting average but I do uh, I should have mentioned him a little bit more because his seven homers in 54 games so there's some punch um, I, I might have undersold Guriel a little bit there, and he definitely belongs in in that category of somebody who's definitely going to get drafted, say, in the top 250 picks. I think that that's fair. So anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed that. I think Justin and I should be back tomorrow as scheduled for episode 600. Bye. Want an unfair advantage to dominate your fantasy baseball league? Well, look no further and download SquadQL, the only mobile app you need to crush your friends and rivals this year. Download SquadQL for free for your Apple and Android devices. SquadQL recommends the best starting lineup each day based on your starters, bench players, and free agent pool. How does SquadQL actually do this? The app connects directly with your Yahoo, ESPN, and CBS leagues, pulling in your actual roster, your league scoring system. The app also provides waiver wire recommendations, daily updates to player rankings, and much more. Head to the Apple app or Google Play stores to download SquadQL, your all-in-one fantasy baseball manager. SquadQL is brought to you by the creators of RotoQL, the leading daily fantasy Lineup optimizer trusted by over 100,000 DFS players. You can also download RotoQL for free for both Apple and Android.